When we're in the midst of suffering, we have this frustrating tendency to invoke limitations. Limitations on ourselves, limitations on what others can do, limitations on what's even possible. And what we don't want to admit is that in the worst of moments, we actually tend to limit God. Now we'll say that God can do all things, that nothing is impossible for him, but too often that's not reflected in our faith, that's not reflected in our outlook, that's not reflected in how we step. A few months ago, you heard the story of Wendy Wallace, who after a flesh-eating bacteria took her hands and feet, she ultimately decided that can't was not a word that she was going to use. Today's guest, Dorsey Ross, has taken that word out of his vocabulary as well. As you'll hear, there's a lot of reasons he could use the word can't, but he knows that that's not what God has invited him to. And in fact, through decades of journeying with God, he's learned that he doesn't have to use the word can't because God is not limited. Our invitation in the midst of suffering is to stop trying to limit him and let him be who he is. You're listening to episode 133 of the Where Did You See God podcast. Father God, I just want to thank you that you are God and you are good. And I thank you for Dorsey and the fact that we've already been able to connect and talk and share with each other and that you've opened up this opportunity for us to continue in conversation. And we already know there's so much you could bring out of this conversation, but rather than just assume we want to invite you, if there's something that you want to bring about in this time that you want to press us into, that you want us to sit in, we invite you now to guide us in that. So we give you our words and our thoughts. We give it all to you because we know you could do abundantly more with it. And we just thank you in advance for how you will work in this time. All this we pray in your most holy name. Amen. Amen. So, Dorsey, you and I connected because I got the privilege of being a guest on your podcast. And so now I'm excited that we're able to have a conversation now. But before we jump in, what would you want people to know about who you are as we step into this conversation? I would love people to know that regardless of what they see, regardless of what they hear, is that I am a person that will not give up, mm. will not give up in a pursuit of a goal, in pursuit of a career, in pursuit of doing something. I was with a few youth and a few adults the other night, and nobody said anything to me about, hey, Dorsey, you're going to try this, but we were doing a simulated home run derby contest before the home run derby came on TV in the backyard of the church mm-hmm. with tennis balls and metal bats and everything, and I tried it, you know. I didn't win, you know, by anything. I didn't get to hit a home run, mm-hmm. but at least I tried it, you know. And people that don't know me, they don't realize that I have arms that are not easily accessible to go up all the way. They don't even go out all the way vertically or horizontally. So I don't have the width of someone that's a, you know, quote unquote, normal person. Mm-hmm. They may look at me and say, Dorsey's not going to be able to play baseball or Dorsey's not going to be able to play football. But I've done that all of my life growing up in my teenage and even into my somewhat adult years. Yeah. That's one thing I've really loved just in when we had a conversation before and the little bit I know about you, it's that you are aware of the challenges, the obstacles and the limitations, but you're also aware of what it means to still step forward. 
it's something that's really beautiful, especially because when you share about that, it's not a small and light thing. You've probably had a lot of people that have heard your story that have looked and said, man, I just, oh man, I don't even know how you step forward. And it really confronts this idea of how we understand capacity and perception. But you made a comment that because this is audio only, people can't see you. Even if they could see you, they might not actually know about Apert syndrome. Sure. And so what is that? And tell me a little bit more about how that played into, I mean, from the start of your life. Sure. It's a congenital birth defect. I was born on January 16th, 1977. And when I was born, my forehead was pushed outward. My eyes and nose were pushed back into my head. And my fingers and toes were fused together, meaning I had no individual movement of them. And if you were to look up April Syndrome or look up pictures of babies with April Syndrome mm-hmm. and you were to look at their hands, nowadays they don't have a lot of mittens or gloves without the individual fingers. Right. But if you were to look at it, the hands of the baby would almost look like it was a glove mm-hmm. because they don't have the individual fingers as of yet. That's also my thing as well when I was born. And my toes are still fused together to this day. Mm. My parents were not even aware of what was going on. Mm. My mom thought she had some type of tumor mm. because she was older in age. She was 41. My dad was 45. She went to the doctor to get looked at. The doctor told her, well, good news is that you don't have a tumor growing inside of you, but you do have a baby. Mm. So... Back to the time when I was in the hospital, the doctors came back in and explained to my parents what was going on. And at the same time of the physical deformities that I had going on, I also had no sore spot or no room for my brain to grow. Because most babies are born with a sore spot or a skull opening to allow the brain to grow and allow the brain to function normally. And the doctors said to my parents, look, we don't think that he's going to survive. We don't think he'll make it in this life. They said the best option for you would be to sign the papers over and to put him into some type of institution. And thankfully, my parents were both people of faith and both believed and trusted in God and believed that God had a great plan and purpose for my life. And said, we will not do that. We will just trust in God and see what God is going to do and see what will happen. And they took me to another hospital in New York City where I was born and I grew up for most of my life. And the doctor there said, well, we can operate on your son to relieve the pressure on his brain, which they did at six weeks. And they said, you know, if he does survive, he'll have to overcome a lot of difficulties and a lot of struggles and issues that he'll have to face in his life. Mm-hmm. You know, from six weeks to when I was about 17, 18 years old, I had about 68 operations over my lifetime. Yeah. There's a lot that's really powerful about your story. And I know you have shared your story in many spaces. And I imagine oftentimes the story that people are hearing is, you know, hey, I had all these obstacles and challenges, but I persevered and you can too. And that's a good message. 
But there's this really beautiful message that's also in there that it just keeps on standing out to me. And there's a verse that came to mind that's actually come up multiple times this week. And as you were talking, it made me think of it. And it comes from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. And then verse 6 says this, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. But it's the piece of that passage that I think people gloss over, that he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, because you have a beautiful faith now. Your understanding of who God is and how God can provide capacity is encouraging and inspiring, but that didn't begin with you. You talked about how your parents had this strong faith and they too were confronted with this challenge, this obstacle. Doctors telling her, hey, there's not really much we can do. He might not survive. If he survives, he's not going to have a good life. So really, you don't have many options here. But their faith told them that God could do the impossible. Amen. And so they stepped forward and it planted this seed. It set this foundation that now as you grew, just as Timothy's sincere faith started out in the foundation of his grandmother and his mother, the faith of your parents has impacted you. And it also reminded me of a guest that I had back at the start of this season named Trisha, who was in a similar situation as your parents. She was pregnant. The doctors gave her the hard news that there were some obstacles and challenges, and they just really didn't believe that her baby would even make it. So there's just not much they could do. There's no options here. But her faith told her God was actually up to abundantly more than she could ask or imagine. She was able to make it through the pregnancy and her child lived for about a week. But there was something beautiful in trusting God in that journey where other voices were telling her there was no hope. And so when you think about this idea of how the faith that existed before you were even born has planted a seed within you, how can you see that playing out in your life? I can see it playing out in my life because my parents trusted in God and I'm taking on that baton. I'm taking it from them and I'm trusting in God as well. I'm trusting in God for the big things. Mm -hmm. I'm playing for the big things. I'm playing for the future wife that God has for me. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm playing for financial stability, mm -hmm. you know, to live on my own and to provide for myself on my own. Yeah. And just to do greater things than, you know, the Bible says we can do greater things than what Jesus did on this earth. Mm -hmm. And I want to see those things happen. I want to believe in those things happening. But sometimes we don't see those things happening and we're like, all right, God, what's happening here? Why aren't we seeing these things? Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes it's the lack of faith. We need to build up that faith in God to be able to see God do those things that we want to see him do. Yeah. The other piece of this, too, is sometimes we don't see it because we put limitations on how it can happen and who it can happen for. And that's part of what your story has included as well. You shared that there are people that can look at you and make assumptions about what you're capable of, what's possible. And we do that with faith as well. We do that with spirituality. This is why what we see in the New Testament is the Pharisees assumed that they were the ones who had the spiritual power and authority because of their position and their education. Meanwhile, Jesus is like, actually, God chooses the least of these because it shows his power all the more. But even if we grab onto that, even if we're like, I want to have faith, I want to trust God, 
One of the things that I've had to process a lot through the season focused on sitting and suffering is that there are these moments where internally it can become very hard, where we are struggling, where we're asking God to change things. Have you had moments like that in your life where the struggle just felt very deep? Absolutely. I mean, especially when it comes to my health, especially when it comes to the internal struggles of my health that I've had, you know, in the past 10 or 15 years. And I didn't even know this until recently, but apparently it's part of the disability where my stomach is congested and it tightens Mm. between the stomach and the small intestine. Every couple of years, the doctor has to go in and do the endoscopy test and open up the stomach and, you know, make sure that the food and everything is digesting properly. And they go back in and they look in my neck and they find out that, I mean, there's a small chance of anything ever happening, but they find out that I have pre-cancer of the Barrett's esophagus. Mm-hmm. You know, you're like, all right, God, you know, what's happening here? You know, what's going on? And, you know, my dad's still living. My dad's 91. You know, he lives with me. And he's like, don't worry about it, don't worry about it, don't worry about it. And I'm like, yeah, well, you didn't grow up in a school where you heard every few months because I went to a school for people with disabilities. Mm. So once in a while, you would hear over the loudspeaker, hey, we're sorry to tell you guys, but so-and-so passed away, or this person passed away, and this person passed away. And then you become Dr. Google, WebMD. You know, you look up April Syndrome, and they're like, well, you can somewhat live to a normal lifespan, you know, but they don't tell you exactly what that lifespan is. Mm. Mm-hmm. I'm not living and feel like, oh, today may be the last day of my life. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm not living like that at all. I'm living in faith and believing, hey, God, I'm here. You have me right where you want me to be. I'm living for what you want me to do. And if you want me to live another 20 years or 30 years, hey, great. Mm-hmm. Thank God, you know, for life. And whatever you have for me, you have for me. Yeah. And it taps into this deeper level of faith that is particularly hard. Like there's a level of faith where we really don't know much about God and we hear that God can heal and save and do amazing things. And we decide, okay, well, I will trust God. I will trust this good God. I will trust this loving God. But then there's this deeper level where it's, you know what God's capable of, and you are also witnessing him not doing the things you know he can do. So when you're talking about your arms, right? It made me think of there's a passage in scripture where Jesus encountered someone whose hand or arm was crippled and Jesus touched it and healed it and made it whole. I've talked to guests, one of them, Darcy, whose name just keeps on coming up in my podcast. She had had a disability that God healed miraculously. And then 20 years later or so, it came back and God didn't heal at that time. Oh, wow. So it's like, God, I know you were capable of doing this and you're choosing not to do it. And it's at that juncture where we had to make a decision, right? On one hand, we can decide that, well, maybe God isn't real, or maybe God isn't powerful, or maybe God isn't loving. And this has been for generations and generations, the debate people have had about how can you say that God is God and God is good when bad things happen. Right. But then on the other end of the spectrum, you have this opportunity to say, I really want God to fix this. <laughs> I really want God to change this. I know he's capable of doing it. and I know he's not doing it. And yet I'm going to choose still to follow him. Yeah. I'm going to choose still to name him as God and good. And so what helps you to be able to do that, to resolve to still honor God, to still love God, to still trust God, 
even when he's not fixing the things. I think it's good to have people around you that have the same faith, you know, that believe in you, that know your story, that know who you are, that know, hey, I'm going to be around Paul, I'm going to be around Dorsey, I'm going to be around whoever may be listening to this later on, and I'm going to surround him or surround her, and regardless of what they go through, whether it's a good time or a bad time, I'm going to be there for them. You know, you definitely don't want the friends of Job who just told him all these things that, you know, wasn't good. And then you got Job's wife who tells him, curse God and die. Mm -hmm. You don't want those people around you in your life. You want people that will have the same faith and have the same belief in God and will be there for you in the good times and in the bad as well. And I have several of those friends in my life. And I think that's the biggest thing that has helped me in those times of my life, especially as an adult. Yeah. This theme of community keeps coming up. A lot of the conversations I've had, they come back to this idea of wanting to let people know that they're not alone, that we are designed, built, intended to operate in community. And it can be hard sometimes to find that community. It can be hard sometimes to discern between, like you said, the healthy community and unhealthy community. But at the end of the day, that is still part of how God equipped us is to not try to just do it on our own and figure it out on our own, but to have people around us that can encourage us, that can challenge us, that can speak truth. Because on our own, we can get in our heads. You know, there's that passage that talks about the heart is deceitful above all things. Like our heart can long for certain things that we could just end up going down a rabbit hole and get lost. And one of those things and this is something you mentioned that is also something that's come up in several conversations is this idea of normal. You know, you said, quote, normal, unquote. It's something that I think we as people really wrestle with pressing into is we're just not good at acknowledging that we have in our mind a definition of normal that's not actually real and often not actually healthy. And so what's your journey been with that of confronting this idea of normalcy and how do you understand normal now? <laughs> how do I understand normal now? Uh, that's a great question. <laughs> I don't know if there really is a normal. What exactly is normal? Mm -hmm. What does normal look like? You know, is normal somebody who's five foot eight, you know, 160 pounds with bulging muscles? Or is it the five foot five guy with a disability? Or is it five foot five guy who's skin and bones? What exactly is normal? Mm -hmm. You know, I don't say normal a lot. I know people who look at me sometimes don't see me as normal. And I understand that some young kids may not understand who I am or understand why I am the way I am. Sometimes I have to go back into the mirror and remind myself that I am who I am because this is the way that God created me. And I am made in his image. I am his masterpiece. I was listening to a clip from Nick Kukuchik. And he's got no arms and no legs, and he tells the story of a little kid that came up to him, and he thought that the girl or the person must have been watching TV shows about aliens, because the kid looks at him and says to him, Hey, are you an alien? And starts running away, and Nick says, Atley yells at the kid and starts running after the kid. <laughs> so, again, you go back to what is normal. Yeah. I think it depends on each person's definition of normal. Mm -hmm. I guess it's hard to define that sometimes, what exactly is normal. Yeah. 
as I said earlier, I think for myself, I have to define it as, you know, I don't look at myself as normal. I look at myself as I am made in the image of God and I am his masterpiece. Mm -hmm. I don't try to wrestle with whether or not God intentionally made me the way that he did this way, or was it a scientific issue? But things happen because of the fall of man. You know, I think it goes back to that. It happens because we live in a fallen world and we live with the nature of a fallen world. Yeah. There is a conversation that the title ended up being The Deceit of Normalcy. Because I think there is a reality that we do create a construct of what is normal, but that doesn't necessarily mean it is normal or that it is good or that it is to be pursued. It makes me think of in the Old Testament, there's a story of the chosen people of God and they had this beautiful relationship with God. And then they started looking around them at the other nations and the other nations had kings. And they're like, well, it's normal to have a king. We don't have a king, so we must be abnormal. So we want to be normal. God, we want a king. And God's like, you don't need a king. You have me. We have this beautiful relationship. A king's not actually going to get you what you think it'll get you. It'll actually cost you down the line. So you just need me. And they're like, no, no, no. We want to be normal. We want a king. And they pushed and pushed. And God's like, all right, I'm going to let you have what you want to have. But I'm trying to let you know that all you need is actually me. And then we read about the tumultuous time that followed as Israel kept on wanting to be normal. Look at the nations around us. They have these other gods. They have these Asherah poles and all these other things. And we want to be normal. We want to be like them. We don't want to be set apart. We don't want to be different. It's a strange thing within our human nature that we're actually fearful of being set apart, of being different. But then meanwhile, you have this God who, like we said earlier, chooses the least of these, this God who works in unexpected way, the God that calls us to be holy, set apart and different. This is what's so crazy about this idea of normalcy is normalcy is tied to our context. And you will find spaces where if there is a majority, that becomes the norm. But if we're claiming to be children of God, if we're claiming to be ambassadors of Christ, followers of Christ, well, scripture tells us that we're now citizens of a different kingdom, <laughs> citizens of a different construct, a different context. And normal there looks very different the normal in our normal context. Right. <laughs> we spend all this time trying to pursue normalcy in this context that's going to fade away. Meanwhile, God's saying, well, my kingdom looks different. The people who are part of my kingdom are set apart. So normal looks very different here. And if we actually just pursued what God's inviting us to, we'll actually find community like we talked about. We'll actually find full life. We'll find purpose. We'll find value because we're going to be releasing all the things that seemed normal before. But God's saying, I'm actually after abundantly more. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing that I've heard come out in these conversations is that, one, people are realizing God's trying to show me something different about myself. God's trying to confront my idea of normalcy. God's trying to draw me closer to him. But this community piece also brings in this other element where people realize that whereas they used to think about what they wanted for their life for themselves, for their own preservation, for their own comfort, for their own growth, God was inviting them to a place where their life was actually meaningful for others. 
So you're going out there and you're sharing your story. And the reality is, is now that's giving you the opportunity to be used by God to impact the lives of others. Has God given you glimpses of him using your story to bring full life to others? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I've gotten notes and letters from people about how my story has touched them and encouraged them. And even from, you know, five minute conversation or even a little less from people after the service of what they've had to go through in their own life and saying, hey, your story has encouraged me and touched me. Thank you for coming and thank you for sharing your story. And what does that then show you about what the purpose of our life is, what the goal of our life is? Because again, the scenario in our mind is that God could have just fixed everything, but you're finding yourself in these contexts where there's things that he hasn't fixed, where there's things that they're still discovering and you're encountering people who are in similar spaces. How does that change your understanding of the purpose and goal of life? I think for me personally, my goal and my you know purpose in life is to encourage other people, mm-hmm. is to inspire other people, to let other people know that they're not alone in their struggles, they're not alone in their lack of faith or maybe not understanding faith all the way or not fully understanding who God really is. And just, you know, trying to encourage them and trying to help them and show them we're all broken people. We all got issues in all of our lives, regardless of what that may be and that may look like. Even with my own podcast, it varies of what stories people give. Mm-hmm. I've had people share stories of health issues and mental issues and things of that nature. And once in a while, I have to bring somebody in that will make my audience laugh because I need that lighthearted story once in a while. Yeah, I think it just shows us that we're not alone. I think even regardless if we believe in God or not, it shows us that we're not alone. We all have issues in our own lives that we need to look at and realize that we're not the only one out there struggling with that particular issue regardless of what that is. Yeah. There's this passage that I wish I had memorized, but it talks about the enemies like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But then the invitation is to recognize that we find power in being unified in our shared sufferings, right? So that's one thing I love about what you shared about your podcast is you're hearing stories from diverse experiences. You're hearing about hardships in different spheres, and it's giving this invitation for people to connect. It's to say, no matter what you're going through, you don't have to be alone. So let's come together. Come sit with me. (laughs) Let's talk on a microphone. Let's share our conversation with others so that collectively we are sharing in this suffering. And that sounds like a daunting thing because we're thinking about suffering in a bad way. But what if we focused more on the sharing piece, right? Like that we all are experiencing suffering in some way, but we have the invitation to actually share together in this, to be together in this, to support each other in this. And that's one thing I really appreciate about you is you're putting yourself out there. Like you could have the option to just be like, woe is me. Mm -hmm. My life is not what I want it to be. So I'm just going to hide away. You could have had that option chosen for you. That's what the doctors were saying. Hey, you're going to need to put him in an institution because there's just no hope. There's no options. His life's not going to amount to anything. And meanwhile, God's like, oh, no, no, I made him in my image. (laughs) I know the plans I have for him. I know how I want to work, not just in his life, but through his life in the lives of others in ways that he may never even know. And out of a step of faith, 
you are continuing to each day choose to go out there and speak in front of a group or go out there, do a podcast or go out there and grab a baseball bat, even though others might be looking to say, is he going to be able to hit it? (laughs) You're not basing your decisions off of how successful they will be in a normal understanding of the world. You're basing your decisions off of, I'm a child of God. God has given me what he's given me. And so I'm going to step in faith with that and give it back to him. And so I just wanted to encourage you in that because I really appreciate that you are stepping in faith in that way. But also to say, I do really believe that in addition to the people you know about who have been encouraged by the story God's given you, I think there are hundreds, maybe even thousands that you don't know about that are encouraged because they are seeing you step in faith and recognizing that they have that same invitation as well. To that end, imagine somebody's listening right now that is going through a similar struggle as what you've gone through in your life. Maybe it's physical limitations. Maybe it's moments in life where people look at them and say, you can't do this. You can't do that. Maybe it's their own longing for what they want life to be, but God's not bringing it there. What would you say to someone who's sitting in that space of suffering right now? I would say don't give up. Keep believing for what it is that you are believing for. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking on the door and asking God for what it is that he has for you. And I think sometimes we pray and we ask and we seek and we knock for what we want for our own lives and what we think the plan of God is for our own lives. And it's not what God has for us at all. You know, growing up, I wanted to be a youth pastor. That's what I thought God had for me. Mm-hmm. You know, in my late teenage years, that's what I thought God had for me, was to be a youth pastor. And I asked someone to come up to me and say to me, Hey, Dorothy, I see you traveling around sharing your story all across this country. I was probably 17, 18 at the time. I was like, all right, that's nice. You know, thank you very much. That's very encouraging, comforting. Thank you for that. Didn't really think much of it. Probably thought to myself, yeah, this kid, the 18-year-old kid with a speech impediment is going to go across the country <laughs> sharing his story. Yeah, right. Long story short, I went on interview after interview after going to Bible college. God kept closing up the door. Mm. And I was given an opportunity to share my story at an outreach event at my home church in Queens, New York. And that's how Dorothy's ministry got started. So I would just say, whether you're suffering, whether you're asking for prayer and you're not seeing that prayer answered, you know, keep seeking him. Until God tells you, no, that's not what I have for you, this is what I have for you, keep seeking it. Until God tells me, no, I don't want you to get married, I want you to live the rest of your life single, Mm -hmm. I'm going to keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking for that woman God has for me. Mm -hmm. I may be 99 years old, I may be still seeking, knocking, and asking, (laughs) but I'm still going to believe in faith and by faith that he has someone out there for me. Mm -hmm. Regardless of what the girls think of me, regardless of what they think of me when they see me, I'm going to believe by faith that he has someone out there for me. Mm -hmm. What I love in that too is it confronts our tendency to limit what God can do. You just described it with marriage. Like we put limitations on, well, there's a window in which it's normal to get married. There's a scenario in which it's normal to get married. There's logistics in which you need to have in place to get married. And what you're basically saying is, yeah, I'm aware of all those. But I also know if God wants to bring a wife when I'm 99, he can do it. I mean, he brought Abraham a baby when he was too old to have a baby. So why are we putting limitations on God? And even when you described this person coming up and saying, you're going to go all around the country, it was very logical for you to think this. But you're like, 
got a speech impediment. I'm 18. That's not going to happen. Also, it's not what I want. I want to be a youth pastor. So in this too, is this invitation of being aware of our human logic, being aware of the limitations and still being able to say, but nonetheless, if God wants to do something, he can do it. And as you were talking, it brought this question in mind that now I'm wishing I would have asked more often in past conversations. You grew up in a household where your parents believed in God. You were introduced to God at a very young age, and God has been a part of your life. And who you have known God to be has probably shifted and grown and changed throughout the course of your life. And so if someone came to you now that knew nothing about God, and you had the opportunity to answer the question, who is God to you? How would you answer that? Who is God to you, Dorsey? Well, first of all, I see God as a father figure. You know, I see God as my father. And that may seem like an easy answer, but, you know, I don't think we always think of it that way. You know, even myself, I don't always think of it that way. Mm-hmm. Yes, we have an earthly father figure, but yet we also have a heavenly father figure. And I don't think we always realize that. God, along with, you know, sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins, he's also our Savior who came to the cross to die for our sins so that way we don't have to do all the things that Abraham and Isaac and Moses had to do to repent of their sins. All we have to do is go to him and say, God, forgive me for my sins. Yes, in a week or two or tomorrow or the next day, I may go back, I may commit that same sin, and I'm struggling with it, I'm dealing with it, and I need your help to help me with it. But yet we don't have to slaughter an animal. We don't have to go to the temple and, you know, ask for forgiveness or do any type of sacrifice. He already did that sacrifice for us. Mm-hmm. And I see him as a peacemaker, a loving, caring God. Yeah. There's so much more we could talk about. Maybe one day we'll keep on talking some more about things. But for now, I imagine there are people that are listening that would like to learn more about your story, would like to connect with you. So how can people connect with you in Dorsey Ross Ministries? The easy way for people to connect with me would be to go to www.dorseyrossministries.com. That's the easiest way. And you can find all my social media links on the website. I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram, and you can also buy my book directly from me on my website as well. That's great. And as we close out, is there anything else on your heart or mind that you feel like God's prompting you to share? I would just say one of my life changes, and I keep telling myself I want to get a t-shirt made with the chain on it. One of my life changes, Kent is not in my vocabulary, and that comes from... Philippians 4.13, which says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, there's, you know, limitations to that verse. And what I mean by that is that in God's will, up to him to give us the strength to do the things that God wants us to do. In my 45 years of life and giving my life to Christ at the age of 13, it's his strength that has helped me to keep going. If I didn't have his strength in my life, I would have given up a long time ago. You know, I don't use the word can't very much in my vocabulary. Mm-hmm. You know, going back to the baseball thing, I could have said, well, I can't do that. I'm 45 years old and my arm don't go out all the way. I can't hit a baseball at my age, you know. But I didn't say that. I was like, hey, I'm going to go out and try to see what happens. 
So I was just telling the people, don't use the word camp in your vocabulary, or at least try to limit that word as often as you can in your vocabulary. Especially when God tells you, hey, I want you to go and do this for me, or I want you to go and do that for me, for my will, for your life. Again, if I didn't have God's strength in my life, and I didn't have his will for my life, on that morning or that afternoon when God said to me, hey, I want you to send out that packet of information about this ministry that I'm creating for you to do. Mm-hmm. I want you to send that out and see what I will do with it. Again, I could have reverted back to the 18-year-old kid who was told, hey, Dorsey, you're going to travel around the country sharing your story. I could have said to God, God, I can't do that, mm-hmm. you know. But I didn't. I was like, all right, God, if that's what you want me to do, I will. Yeah. And that, I don't know if you want to call it prophecy or word of encouragement, whatnot, whatever that was, that almost come full fruition because I've gone through probably almost half the country now sharing my story. Dorsey shared that his life motto, that the word can't is not a part of his vocabulary, comes from the verse Philippians 4.13, which says this, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And what I love about what Dorsey shared is he was keenly aware that he did have physical limitations. However, he knows that where he is limited, God is not. And if God invites him to operate in a certain way or to do a certain thing, He can step into that despite his limitations because he can do all things through God who strengthens him, through God who equips him, through God who guides him. This is how the Apostle Paul understood God. The Apostle Paul knew what it meant to sit in suffering. In fact, the preceding verse says this, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. We've talked many times about all the things the Apostle Paul went through, and in fact, so often when he was writing things like these, he was imprisoned, literally limited to where he could go and what he could do, and yet he could still do all things through God who strengthened him. We have got to contend with the reality that we are prone to limit God. We limit how much we think he understands about our situation. We limit his capacity to do the impossible. And we limit how much we trust his vision for the future. We love to limit God, though we don't want to admit it. We do so because we're afraid. We're afraid that God will put us in a situation we don't want to be in. We're afraid that God would leave us in places that we long to escape. We're afraid that we won't get the things we desire, the things that we long for. We're afraid that God's will is not our will. And I'm sorry to break it to you, but it's not. But the good news is, God's will... God's plan, God's desires, are abundantly more than anything we could have asked for or imagined. Who God is making us to be, what he is inviting us to do, are accomplishing full life for us, even if we don't realize it. This is why God is so patient with us when we are struggling and suffering, because he knows what he is inviting us into. He knows what he has for us. Dorsey has had many hard moments and many unmet desires. But the constant through his life has been that God has loved him 
God has seen him and God has guided him. In the moments that Dorsey struggled to catch that, God was patient with him. And in the moments that Dorsey stepped in faith, even if it didn't make sense, God did beautiful things. Dorsey's story teaches us that we don't have to limit God, no matter what our circumstances are, no matter what our very real limitations are. We don't have to limit God, but we're prone to. So will we be willing in the midst of our suffering to operate with a Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 mindset? That no matter how we see ourselves and our situation, that we would trust in the Lord with all of our heart and not lean on our own understanding. That in all of our ways, we'd submit to him because he knows how to set our paths straight. We may be limited, but God is not, and he is inviting us into his limitlessness. We don't deserve that, but how beautiful it is. The God who strengthened the Apostle Paul, who continues to strengthen Dorsey, desires to strengthen you as well. Choose today to release the limitations that your mind is shouting, to trust God's limitlessness, and to step where he invites you to step. And as you do, ask yourself, where did you see God? Have you ever wanted to read Revelation but haven't known where to start? Or have you been afraid to read Revelation because of all the ways you've seen it misused? Or maybe you haven't even wanted to touch Revelation, but feel like maybe you should since it's part of the Bible? Well, if you're in any of these positions or any other ones, I've got a resource for you. It's called A Journey Through Revelation for the Person Who Doesn't Want to Read Revelation. And here's the thing. The hope for this resource is that it makes the exploration of who God is and what revelation can mean for you accessible, whatever you believe. And this will not be your normal revelation study. It's not going to dive into the historic representations of the imagery or expertly decipher the prophecies. The goal of this is not to tell you what revelation means. It's to explore what it can mean for you. Now, this thing is available for you right now in a few forms. One, you could go to www.wheredidyouseegod.com revelation, and you can find a PDF for free, which you can read on your phone, on your device, or print out. But if you like something that's a little nicer looking, it is also available through Amazon on Kindle and in paperback form. And I prefer paperback, whether you print it or you get the one on Amazon, because this gives you a place to write some things out because you're going to want a place to write things out. Because I really do believe that God wants to speak to you through Revelation, whatever you feel about Revelation, whatever your experience and whatever you think about God. So if you're interested, get it for free. Get it for a very, very, very low price. This is not about making money, but about us together exploring how we can see God in the midst of such a difficult and controversial book. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash where did you see God, or you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, uh, think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group and you will love listening to the rest of the music. So check them out. And as always, as you go through your day, ask yourself, where did you see God?